Uncovering your truth and fire, one conversation at a time. This is a Spitfire Podcast. Hey guys, it's your host, Lauren Lemunyan, straight out of Washington, D.C. I hope you've enjoyed the Spitfire podcast as much as I have in bringing together our awesome guests and shows. If you haven't subscribed, head over to iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is you listen to podcasts on. Subscribe to the Spitfire podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your Uber drivers. Spread the word of the awesomeness and you keep being awesome. What's going on, guys? It is time for episode 14 with Brian Farrow. He is an amazing musician. We're talking about who he's played with, his favorite gigs. We're talking about his adventures in Greece and his idea of getting a nonprofit off the ground. But the interesting part is we're talking about him wanting to start a business in an industry you might not think of. So enjoy episode 14. I am joined today by a guest who has literally picked me off the ground. In my debut rap, rapping performance, um, I, I, I had flawless skills, right? Flawless. Flawless. Flawless rhymes. Um, however, my footwork was not on par, and I did not see a monitor in front of me and did a lovely pirouette pike fall <laughs> in between said monitor and mic stands. And my guest, Brian Farrow, was the only one who saw me do it. Well, that's not true. Uh, that and about a thousand people saw the video. There was a crowd. He, all of a sudden, I saw this arm come down and just pluck me out of there. So I, I owe you my... my um, perseverance in coming back up into the rap game, my resilience and and getting literally back on my feet. But I've been wanting to get you on this podcast because you're up to some amazing stuff. Um, but I want to hear from you. So everybody, welcome Brian Farrow to the hello, show. Hello, everybody. I'm Brian Farrow. Um, where should we start? Who are you? Who is Brian Farrow? Uh, I'm a multi-instrumentalist around the Washington, D.C. area. I think my biggest claim to fame right now is uh, playing with Dom Flemons, the American songster. Um, I, I started playing with him four years ago, and we do traditional blues style, string band music, African American music, um, hot bass fiddle banjo type stuff. And uh, it's really taken us to some great places. Last year we played, um, was it last year or the year before? Sometime in the past two years, we've had a lot of really great gigs. Um, we played the opening for the African American Museum, the new one that opened cool. up uh, uh, off of 14th Street, I believe. Yep. Fort- yep. And um, in Constitution, I think. Then we also played uh, the Grand Old Opry and the Ryman Theater. They brought the Opry down for us. Uh, we've opened up for Old Crow Medicine Show a bunch. Um, one of my favorite gigs, which is actually a little bit ago, but it was such a beautiful gig. And uh, if anybody up in Boston is hearing this, we can't wait to come back. We played with the Boston Children's Choir for uh, a Martin Luther King Jr. celebration. Um, So we get get around. Last year we hit uh, all major regions of the United States. And this year we might do the same because um, Dom has a new album coming out, which I'm on, um, playing bass and fiddle on that, uh, and it's dedicated to Black Cowboys, and it's going to be released through the Smithsonian. You'll actually see it in the African American History Museum. That's so cool. So you are part of history. Uh, shucks, well, I think we yeah. all are in some <laughs> way, but you are part of musical history now in an actual museum. Yeah, I, it's 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 hard to. 
it's hard to really imagine that I'm at that point right now. I'm always, I'm always thinking like, oh, there's so much further to go, but it's, it's happening now. Yeah. Yes. And, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, you continue the journey. So what was the first instrument you picked up? Um, and how old were you? The first instrument was, I believe somewhere between eight and 12 closer to 12 probably in middle school I picked up the guitar and I I just took a guitar class because a couple of friends were doing it and I just ran with it I was listening to so much earth wind and fire at the time and I just (laughs) I wanted to figure out how to play that stuff I never did because I was I was just learning and I brought it to my teacher and said could, can I learn these songs? And he's like, mm, not yeah. <laughs> pump not your brakes, son. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> After that, I played a, a little bit of piano, um, and eventually in high school, I wanted to get into a band, and I just picked up bass, uh, electric bass, and kept on playing from there, and never really played it in school until my my junior junior year of high school. Uh, the upright bassist left the jazz band and the upright bass looked like such a cool instrument so I picked it up didn't know what to do for college so I thought why don't I go to college for upright bass and I went to Howard for a little bit um, and then stopped to just play music around town very cool so tell me the earth wind and fire song that that spoke to you Oh, I had a greatest hits. Um, September speaks yes. to me. Uh, <laughs> there's a song, uh, Superstar, which is a really mm-hmm. cutting track. Um, yeah, those ones are the ones that speak to me. Right, and Gotta Get Out. Mm-hmm. I loved Gotta Get Out. I saw Earth, Wind, and Fire with Chicago probably about 10 years ago. Ooh. It was Maybe it was more than that, but yeah, life-changing. Yeah, those are two amazing bands. I didn't realize how long Chicago has been playing together. It's like almost 60 years. Yeah, Insane. Um, I just, uh, someone was talking about Chicago and and another band in the same breath. I wish I could remember the band. Not the Doobie Brothers, the Allman Brothers Mm -hmm. band. And just how how they just started off so 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 poor and i always I always think about nowadays i always think about the business structure behind uh the the more famous bands out there mm-hmm. when you think of those 70s huge bands with pianos keys like 12 bass, members drums, right those when they start out i mean they have to be broke you yeah. can't pay they're like everybody. poorer than ramen right right <laughs> everybody they wish they could have ramen they can all break off a piece of a yeah. brick of ramen, maybe not without the. the <laughs> they don't the get sauce. flavor packets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sharing one hotel room, and which I used to do with the uh, some nights with the the Hackensaw Boys, mm. which was really funny because one of the Hackensaw Boys, a guy named Ferd Mohi, who's really the the catalyst to me starting uh, to pick up the fiddle. He smells like constantly. Wait, like is stinky? He's well, a stinky he's guy. He's a stinky dude. <laughs> he washes. So sometimes. what do you do with a stinky dude that you got to share quarters with? <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> um, well, Ferd was a funny guy, so luckily he could get you go and get you laughing, and and you 
you you liked them enough to deal with the smell so you could get beyond the smell now is it true that once like there's a there's an offensive odor because i actually had this happen in yoga class yesterday Mm. like i think it was actually the instructor like real bad bo but there was a point where i felt like my nose kind of adjusted to it or i just got over it did that ever happen eventually especially the most dramatic case is when he takes off his cowboy boots in the car (laughs) did he wear socks he did, but they were rank. Ooh, just as rank. You, ooh. And, uh, I'm having a moment right now. <laughs> that smell would just be in the van. Oh, how many people were in the van at one time? Um, five with the Hackensaw boys. But I shouldn't talk because I, I, I can... I can throw out some pretty. Yeah, I, b- farts. I believe. It, I, no, I believe it was. Uh, I'm not going to say the exact phrase that you used, but basically that you need to go home and wash yourself because you were stinking when I saw you <laughs> <laughs> a couple weeks ago. I am very aware of how I try to be aware of how I smell all the time, and I'm not putting Tom's out there like this, but Tom's deodorant just natural does not cut it. It it doesn't sometimes. And I still buy Tom's because I want to buy something that's natural, but I have to like really just yeah. soak it in there. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, all the, I've seen so many products of like, you know, the baking soda and this and this and this, but I can tell the people who are wearing, wearing the natural stuff versus not. Right, right. I appreciate the effort, but you're not fooling anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't now I can get down myself. with the toothpaste. That Does works. Toothpaste Tom's has toothpaste, yeah. Oh, yeah. That yeah, that's great. where they got started. The toothpaste is great, though I think I'm going to switch to uh, coconut oil-based toothpaste. Interesting. Mm-hmm. There was. Uh, Do you listen to How I Built This at all? It's an NPR podcast. Uh, no, I wanted to listen to that, but I didn't find it quick enough. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So they do weekly shows, but Tom's was one of them. And actually, the founder got started not because he was into holistic properties, but because it was he thought it would be a good business opportunity that just happened to take off, amazingly enough. I mean, that's if you can if you think you, there's a corner of, in the market. I feel like that's the best time to go at an idea. Well, that's a great segue because you've got music. Yeah. You've been dabbling a little bit of thinking about starting a nonprofit in Greece. Yes. So first, let's let's talk about that, and then I want to talk about the idea that you you sprung upon me as you entered the room today. So let's talk about Greece first. So Greece was um, I I listened to. Another podcast, This American Life. A lot yes, of people love know that it. one. Uh, they had an episode uh, about the refugee crisis in Greece, and I just I wanted to do something. I, it was just a point in my life where I wanted to tackle a bigger issue, and I ended up just going to Greece, bringing a couple of instruments, and I had a friend that connected me with a great nonprofit, uh, Action Aid. And they were doing mainly work uh, to support women who were victims of gender-based violence. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went over there just to teach music to them or share music with them, really. And the first couple of classes were just all women who were really, really, really about um, doing something other than sitting in the camps. And they took to learning music uh, like like water takes to a napkin. They absorbed it all, and at the end of it, uh, I remember walking into the classroom because I was late one day because I just got lost constantly in Greece. <laughs> um, I walk into class one day, and one of the students who the day before uh, had made 
a really morbid comment just about what was going on in Syria. Like the music of her nation is, <laughs> which is the sound of AKs going mm. off. Um, and at the time, I really didn't know what to say to that and kind of rolled through and kept on going on with class. But then the next day, um, something got through because she was playing the Doombeck and everyone was dancing and the whole class was in an uproar and we just, we took that energy and ran with it. Um, and I, uh, I was just really inspired to continue to do that um, because I was inspired because I saw them inspired. Mm -hmm. I was, I didn't, I really wasn't aware of the effect you can have on people's lives with the arts. I'm all, I'm aware of really? it. Really? I am always at odds with it. Why? Tell me more about that. In the music field, I can see a lot of egoism mm -hmm. in it and a lot of me in the lyrics of a lot of uh, in the lyrics of music today and I'm not attracted to that and that gets me a little bit disheartened to mm -hmm. be in the industry so when I see music affect people in uh, a positive way like this I know people can relate to a song that's great but to to connect with music as a practice mm -hmm. as a way of release like that especially from such a traumatic event I don't know. It felt more real to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that they've got programs at Walter Reed for PTSD for people that are dealing with trauma. So that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you're giving them a new language or a new tool of expression. Right. So it'd be the equivalent of someone putting a paintbrush in there, but actually giving them a, more of an advantage to connect with others and to actually rejoice and celebrate and to reframe their grief. Exactly. I, 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 I actually use that language. I'm teaching a new way to communicate mm -hmm. because when we exercise the skill to communicate, maybe we can communicate uh, in our own language the, the deeper traumas that we're surrounded by. Yeah. So where are you now with, with this idea? This You've, you've been to Greece. Mm -hmm. I've been... Uh, I was there once in, at the end of 2015... No, 2016, twice in 2017. Uh, so I've been there for a total of like three and a half months or maybe four months. Um, and each time I learned something. First time was learning the, the effect. Second time was learning the nature of international organizations. And the third time was learning the nature of the local organizations. Mm -hmm. What um, will the fourth time be about? The fourth time will be about uh, uh, establishing a perpetual system. Okay, so the structure? Yes. Okay. So it sounds like you've, you've taken in the landscape mm -hmm. and the minutia and the working parts and pieces, and now it's finding the organization mm -hmm. and how you can make it work. Right. And I've tried to... Uh, the one thing that I've been disheartened by recently is I haven't been able to get uh, 
a project off the ground to get one of the, the refugee musicians I was working with over there. Um, part of the program is finding refugee musicians to work with to lead classes mm-hmm. because I don't I don't want this to be a program where I'm just teaching American music. I want people to be connected to their own musical mm-hmm. realms because what's missing in international aid is an awareness of the people's cultures and uh, a reinforcement of their own cultures. Mm -hmm. There's so many organizations that want to come in and give and give and give, not only supplies, but, um, but, but their own cultures, like religious organizations that come in and want to convert people, Mm -hmm. which, you know, in itself, sure, it might be, it might, it might help some, but what folks really need is a connection back to their home but they're missing. Right. Um, so I tried to make that connection with refugee musicians, and I wanted to get him to do a tour through the, the hostels and foster homes, but <laughs> I've learned that if you want to get things done in Greece, especially with local organizations, you've got to be there and knock on people's doors. Mm-hmm. Um, because... People just don't respond to email that well. No, I don't think they're a very email-centric society or yeah. culture. But, but that, that makes sense. It's like, you know, a handshake is worth more than a contract. There. Yeah, yeah. I, the last time I went, I, I really knocked on people's doors. And it, it, I, the first two times, I got to work with an international organization, ActionAid. Um, unfortunately, the third time, their office had closed down in Greece because a lot of the attention... Uh, of the refugee crisis was transferred over to Italy at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to find local organizations that were going to be uh, permanent bodies to work with. And I made calls and sent emails, and I wasn't getting the responses I needed. And I just got frustrated because I thought something needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And I really, I missed my old students too. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't because nothing was moving, I wasn't able to get in contact with them. So I just got really frustrated and just started knocking on doors. Mm-hmm. And it and it helped. It, that's what impressed people, just showing up with an idea. Doing the anti-American thing. Right. <laughs> Which is, I try doing that over here sometimes, and, and, and it just doesn't nope. work. They're like, please a... send us an email right. so we can properly ignore you. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, who's this crazy person? We're going to be passive. Exactly. It's a great idea. We'll get back to you. I tried. Um, I tried looking for. Uh, me and a friend were looking for uh, a bartending bartending job for just a, just something to do around town. I don't like to have my all of my money coming from music, mm-hmm. just because it's it can be consistent, but. There's, I don't like taking all gigs. I just really don't. Um, so we were just looking for bartending gigs and talking to barbacks and whatnot. But once you talk to the managers and whatnot of that system, nobody, everybody is like, please refer to the website, send an email. I'm even trying to pass out resumes to folks, and uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't really get that far. It's so interesting because, like, I remember growing up, and my parents would always stress, like, go bring your resume to the owner mm-hmm. of the shop. Like, that was how you got noticed. Right. But 
that's no longer the norm. Right. So all and and it's almost like how do you, how do you now cultivate those people skills with this upcoming generation right. when you've now created a system that creates all of that. It, it actually creates a barrier or says you're interrupting or just disrupting me by mm. coming in. And I, I was actually thinking about how that applies to uh, the women's rights issues that are going on and how that, that, that sexual communication is degraded a little bit in younger generations because of this technology medium and um, it's interesting to see how that communication is starting to evolve in that generation. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll be curious to see what it it looks like in five, ten years. Yeah, me too. I'm hoping that it shifts because what I've been seeing is not it's not uplifting for me. I know we've got more work to do. The conversations are happening, which is great to see. I just want them to continue, and I want them to get a little deeper because I think we've been very surface level for a long time, and it's time to get uncomfortable Yeah. and see what we're really avoiding. I completely agree. Yeah. I I just look around, and I'm like, come on, we can do better. Right, right, (laughs) right. But the key is to wait for the time to, to arise because if you force a conversation before it's ready, then people go back into their holes. And I, I think, especially with this subject, um, learning patience and how to talk about it has been really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two shows ago, we had Lori Samuels, who actually connected with you because she's starting a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, I was supposed to meet with her. I was supposed to meet with her today, but flight delayed. I'm... <sighs> schedule's all a mess right now all good well she lives in this neighborhood so i call her over (laughs) (laughs) well she's amazing but she's she's on the front lines of dealing with you know the the after effects of these societal norms and cues that we've kind of just taken as normal Mm -hmm. and and how do you rework and relearn an established system of 100 years plus where you know this has been accepted and this is normal for people and how do you now make them rewrite the script or say, no, this is, this is now illegal for you that mm-hmm. you've been able to get away in treating other people like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so where does it start? I mean, you're talking about using music, but what do you see as being like the, the overarching tool uh, to help make this change happen and stay? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of different solutions and a lot of different approaches. And if I'm to think of an approach with the experience I have. Um, again, music is a mode of communication and supporting uh, communicative tools will help this conversation. I mean, that's that's a way I can help. A, a, a general fix-all, I wouldn't know yet. And uh, on this issue, I always feel like as a male, I don't have the solution. Yeah. I mean, you kind of touched on it before of this very egocentric idea about music, um, the hypersexualization, the very materialistic egos, you know, egocentric as far as like me, mine, Mm -hmm. this is my perspective. Um, And when you talk about the experience that you've had in Greece, it sounds like there there is no I, there is no me. It it is the we or the higher we that people go to. And that's where the real joy comes from. Exactly. Exactly. I think the isolations uh, mm-hmm. people being isolated is part of what part of 
the the catalyst for these toxic relationships we find ourselves in. Mm. Dive into that a little more. Oh, no. No. <laughs> All right. We don't have to dive. I, I, I think it's interesting, though, because it's like we've set ourselves up for this box of how we have to be. Yeah. And then we realize we don't want to be that way, but then we don't know where to go. Right, right. And I would get into it more. It's just, again, as a guy, I have to figure out a more concise way to raise a flag about this and discuss it more in private with women to totally. really find the right path forward. I appreciate your sentiment on that because I have heard the Matt Damons of the world who come out with their opinions and I really just want to smack him in the face right? because it's a very one-sided and reactionary tone and I think this is a much more complicated and complex thing. So I appreciate that. I just don't want to get smacked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like giving him the, the side eye. I'm just kidding. We love you, Brian. It's all good. I hope so. More, more men should be like Brian. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, okay. So we've talked about what you're doing in music right now. We're talking about the work you've done in Greece, what you want to do. But you came in here and you said, I've got this idea for a business and I want to get your thoughts on it. And I am a business coach and, and we bounce ideas every now and again when I see you. So I want to hear what you're up to, what so, you're thinking. Um, so I've been, I got really into sailing culture and sailing history while I was in Greece. Um, it started when I was just trying to figure out how am I going to get more instruments to Greece. Plane, it's way too expensive. And then someone said, why don't you put it on, on a boat? Um, and I thought, oh yeah, maybe I should try that. Still very expensive. Uh, and the connections that I had for that uh, um, didn't, didn't come through. Uh, but I still just got interested in sailing a bunch because of where I was in Greece and uh, that civilization's history in the Mediterranean. And then taking it over to the Atlantic with African-Americans and uh, Negro Americans involved in the slave trade, uh, working on boats and being a huge part of sailing culture in the early history of America, I, I wanted to feel that history firsthand, so I started working on boat yards, cleaning boats, detailing boats, uh, learning firsthand what the work entails today and reading about it in books. One of the things that I, I saw were terrible ecological practices. Mm the products used on these boats, even though they're sailboats. I, I wanted to get a sailboat because it seemed like the most ecological idea, something that's running on wind. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you have the diesel engines that they have to use in case the wind dies that people use nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, well, you can get an electric motor, but most electric motors cost way too much. Um, then there is the waste system. Most waste systems are going to be dumped right into the ocean uh, unless you're buying, again, there's a price line. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm finding just when it comes to the maintenance of the boat, uh, there's ecological issues. Then the paints that are used on the holes of the boats leak chemicals and these boats are painted, the holes should be painted 
people regularly using their boats every year. Mm-hmm. Um, then people washing the boats are still using bleach and uh, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, ammonia. Ammon- yes, ammonia. Which, by the way, when bleach and ammonia mix, it's toxic. It's terrible. It, like you, you they, can die. They use them separately. <laughs> good. They use them separately. Well, not good. They shouldn't use them at all. But right. I. The thing that bugged me the most was watching um, one of my bosses while we cleaned the boat just dump this bleach all over the boat because of a small stain and then watching it run off into the Chesapeake. Mm. And it just hurt. And I couldn't stop complaining about it. Uh, So what are you going to do about it? I want to start a business that does uh, ecologically minded boat cleanings. That's amazing. And uh, I feel at the bottom end, uh, since all the products are naturally based, lots of vinegar, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have to, there's not a high, high cost to getting in the business, mm-hmm. um, but there's a high reward if, if, if the business is established well. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my idea. What do you think of it? Well, I think every good business starts from solving a problem mm-hmm. and a problem that you're passionate about. And so the fact that you have this connection to environmentally conscious practices, to the boating industry, I think that this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done any research of whether or not this exists anywhere else in the area? I've done a little bit. Um, I should do some more because I haven't found uh, any yet, and I feel like there should be one. Or let's let's look at some regions where there are already environmentally conscious centers, so Pacific Northwest, California, um, where there already may be some because the best way to get into the market is to use an established mar- model. You're right. I haven't searched other cities yet. Yeah, I would I would focus on Pacific Northwest, huge boating areas, um, you know, San Diego, L.A. maybe, but San Francisco definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to have much more of a hub of environmental uh, focused practices um, and watershed issues as well. But I think I think those are the the prime markets, even Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, and then look at what their price points are, and then look at what what is the price point of a standard cleaning for a non environmentally friendly business. And what are your margins? Mm-hmm. And can you be competitive based on that? I think, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to create a, a, a small economic system to maybe support two or three workers, because uh, that's all you need for a crew. Uh, so I, I feel like whatever price points I find, and I've called a couple of businesses and pretended to be a customer mm-hmm. and take down notes. Um, I think it's going to be easier, easy to set a lower price because mm-hmm. these cleanings cost anywhere from eight hundred to two thousand, and depending depending on the size of the boat, they can get up to like four thousand dollars. So you're talking about a clientele who's already used to disposable income and high price points. Yes. Okay. I would say think bigger than two to three people as you ramp up. Instead of just the initial, what does one one year look like? Mm-hmm. I want you thinking five, ten years down. Okay. And and thinking bigger because when you think too small, you limit yourself and you use words like just or only. Okay. Okay. Fair. So I want you to think like a businessman. Like think like you are going to start a revolutionary business that's going to change the way that people care for their boats, the way that they care for their waterways, the way that they think about the planet they live on. 
it's not just about cleaning a boat. It's about caring for their water. Whoa, you're inspiring me with my idea. <laughs> you inspired me, but it, it's not just the practice. It's mm-hmm. where's the connection in the storyline to the consumer? And I haven't thought about enough because I, I've just been it's really your, practical It's your story, it. though. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you telling your story of, like, I became connected to boats doing this. I decided to go work at a boatyard, and I was devastated at the environmental impact of the standard practices. We can do better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I, I'm laughing because it's like, wow. <laughs> do, you, do, do you want my business? <laughs> <laughs> I can help you with your business, but I love watching Shark Tank and the profit. Like that's, that's where I think. Mm-hmm. So you think of like three things, the people, the process, and the product. Mm-hmm. The process is what's going to be key to differentiate you because the product is obviously getting a clean boat. Right. The people you bring on have to be exactly like you in the way that you think about the environment. And I could, I, I feel I can, I can tie this with uh, refugee issues too by finding there, there's boat traditions in a lot of those Mediterranean Amazing. cultures. So. And then you bring in music. Oh my God, I'm seeing the commercial like already where you just got, you like start with a band playing and then you pan out to the boat and like people cleaning it and then it's sailing the seas and ah, sparkle clean. <laughs> You're right. I should think bigger, and I haven't thought about a commercial, and that's a great idea. It's amazing. I'm seeing it already. I mean, I, I'm, I'm even thinking of, like, car washes, how people wash their cars and just, like, are dumping this stuff into into the waterways. I was just doing some research on that the other day because I needed, I needed to wash my car after all the snow. Mm-hmm. And uh, before I went to the car wash, I was, I, I was thinking, well, if I'm – if I'm having these ideas about boats, what am I doing about my car? Mm-hmm. Uh, Transportation in general, yeah. Right, right. Um, so I think that's a way that this boat cleaning business can grow in a new way. I, I love the idea of starting really specific. Mm-hmm. Start with the boats. Right. And see where it goes. But if, if you can create a system of environmentally friendly, conscious practices to clean your vessel that's in compliance with everything else they're supposed to do. Why couldn't this translate into something else? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm thinking about the salt that people put down when it's snowing and icy. I can't even let my dog walk on it because it burns his paws. Mm. Imagine what that's doing to fish when it gets into the water. Uh, It's killing ecosystems. It is. Luckily right now there's one positive thing that everybody who I've talked to about uh, this says, oh, the the bay's getting better because they're 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 making oyster reefs yeah. all throughout the Chesapeake, which is great, but it's at a very slow rate. And we can always do better, right? Just because one government agency is doing it does not mean that we need to take our eye off the ball, right? We've got way too many. They will go nameless. Way too many agencies, political figures that are doing everything they can to shortcut environmental practices that are going to pollute our genera- for generations to come. Mm-hmm. I used to be the executive director of the Environmental Markets Association. Oh. So I was very involved with cap and trade and market-based solutions in order to combat uh, pollution. Do you think cap and trade is something that my business could get involved with or um, mm, trading? Not so much because cap and trade is based on emissions. So unless you were taking methane, carbon dioxide, SO2 or NOx out 
of the atmosphere or reducing it in some capacity, um, unless you could measure that. Um, it wouldn't necessarily work with that, but you could look at other environmental impacts um, if you would, could be able to measure what a standard practice would be. Would a carbon offsets be something that, that fits better? Um, or would that... I, I, I it's a matter... Like, if you were working with transportation, like, let's say you, you were driving a car back and forth mm-hmm. and you used an electric car, that would be the equivalent of, like... Carbon offsets, not so much, because um, that's basically saying that we're going to plant trees for every thing we pollute. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a whole back and forth on that. Um, it's a very complicated process. In theory, it's great. I think in general that people just need to reduce their impact. Right. Because an offset just basically says it's okay for you to pollute because we're just going to plant some more trees for the equivalent of what you just polluted right. rather than you just not polluting. Okay. I... I remember there being some sort of system that I could measure my environmental impact yeah. and trade that. Uh, yeah, that's an offset. That's an offset? Yeah, okay. but but basically the premise behind an offset is that someone's using the offset in order to make their pollution okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So yeah. that's kind of the system, which is not as like amazing. I'm trying to just not pollute. Just don't pollute. <laughs> and I still have to do my due diligence and research what vinegar can do to the I was going to ask you about that. What's the, Is that the best option? It is, so far, from what I've seen, that's the best option. Another option, and this might be a lower risk option, is if you find a company based in California or the Pacific Northwest that's already doing it, if they're interested in a franchise opportunity. Ooh. Established model, you take it on. Ooh, that's, that's also a really great idea. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I think you can start your own. You can look for existing, um, or you could buy into an existing business and offer it as an add-on service. Do you think it would be better to start on my own and ask them to buy my business? I would, I would do more research on that. I, I couldn't give you a good advice point on that until you know what, what the business would be valued at, mm-hmm. and you would have to have a proof of concept. Okay. And show your, you probably need to be in operation about a year in mm-hmm. order to show profitability lines. Okay, okay. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate This is that. fun. I yeah. was like, oh, this is like a Marcus Lemonis moment for me. <laughs> you really showed me uh, as well. Like this is kind of the way you're talking about my ideas, uh, how I tend to talk about uh, my nonprofit. And I just hadn't, I hadn't crossed that boundary with this idea yet. So I appreciate that. Here's the thing. Nonprofits are still business. Right. So just because it's business doesn't mean you can't have the same passion. It's funny. I've been treating the nonprofit more like a business than uh, the boat idea. Yeah, you were going too small. I, I picked up on that immediately, and I was like, no, 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 no. Go bigger. Okay. If you want to have the amount of impact for the planet, go bigger. Think bigger. Okay. You can always go smaller. Buy less vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and the employees you bring on, if you do a 1099 situation, you don't have to you know, front load all of these costs with salary employees, you pay them hourly. Yeah. That, I mean, that's exactly how it'll have to be. Mm-hmm. I won't be able to support salaries at first unless I get a really great foreman. Yeah. But think about bigger vision. Okay. What does it look like and reverse engineer it? Um, all right. You think that's a, that's a good point to leave off on? I, th- I, think, I think we have struck a chord. Yeah. What chord would this be? On the base. Um, G. That's <laughs> this a pretty a darn G. good chord. Okay. How about G for me? Mm-hmm. 
This has been the Spitfire Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, thank you so much for coming in and and sharing all the amazing projects you have on and letting me play business coach. Well, not even playing. I am a business coach, but this was a lot of fun. And I want to hear back on your progress with the nonprofit, with your music, and with this eco-friendly boat washing, cleaning, detailing service that you're going to be offering in, in D.C. area, right? Let's let's do this again at the end of the year, and I'll oh, give you yeah. an update. yeah, we're going to do an annual check-in. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, and for all the Spitfires out there, keep being awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for Episode 14 with Brian Farrow. I hope you were inspired as much as I was. We had a ton of fun recording this. If you're not subscribed, go to spitfirepodcast.com or check us out on iTunes or Google Play. But most importantly, keep being awesome. <laughs>